Bibles. Page 1,168 in your Thompson Chain Large Edition King James Version. Or as I found out when I was in Omaha, the, the Ken Johnson Version, he claimed it for himself. I think it was a joke. It was a joke. So You're supposed to smile and laugh. Sam, you were there. Acts 13.39. All right. What page are you on, Abby? 1453. Wow, okay. Just making sure you're still with me. John, you want to offer up what page you're on? Wow. So you sit, you fourteen what you're you're Thompson chain now too, aren't you? No? You didn't bring it with you? Yeah, what page you on? Same as Abby? <laughs> okay. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. Uh, I come asking for your understanding by the Holy Spirit uh, to be taught, um, to to hear uh, as we study history, to hear uh, the works of God continuing, the works of Jesus continuing uh, out to the Gentiles. We pray that you would give us uh, insight and understanding into the knowledge of you as we go forth and live our lives. And uh, Lord, make us bold. I think in the days we're living, um, that we would be bold. Uh, thank you for those uh, open doors, those opportunities to speak openly. And uh, teach us tonight the assurance of your word and the things that you did. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we've been studying through this, um, and also as a precursor, right? That, a precursor means what's to come, I think, something like that. Um, we're going to go through all of chapter 14 next week, and I, we enter into the section of Acts where Paul goes forth to preach Christ and later writes letters back to teach the church. So what I want to do for next week, we're going to be doing Acts chapter 14. And for all of your background information, read the book of Galatians. So Paul actually gets into the area of Galatia tonight as we wrap up uh, end of 13. And these are the, this is, this is where, where I think it's a beautiful understanding to see how this all happened. Um, we pick up in, in verse, uh, well, again, the context is Paul is in the synagogue at Antioch, and he comes to that place to declare unto, unto the hearers, Jew and Gentile alike, that he declares, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness of sins preached through Jesus Christ. And, and he goes on to this phrase in 1339, and by him... Everyone who believes is justified from all things from which could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, let's have a little fun because I like to look at different things together. Uh, find your way in your Bibles to Romans 3. Did anybody take up that, read Romans 3 all the way, like Romans chapter 3 to chapter 5, verse 1? 
to um, as we talk about that. Did I not bring that up? Did I just imagine that I you would have remembered? No, you didn't Nothing about being justified. Okay, three twenty four. Look at Acts. Look at Romans three twenty four. I must have said that down in Fargo. I've heard it said before. I often say, <laughs> you know that phrase? Um, so wonderful undertaking in this idea of justified. Did I describe justified to you? How, how this word justified means to be rendered righteous in the sight of God. So uh, I'm, again, very straightforward. The Apostle Paul preaching the gospel. I have every sense that when he goes out, this is the gospel that he preaches. When he, when he tells Timothy later on, he says, you, you know the things that you've heard. You know who you've heard them from. And, and he came back. And, and we, when we get back to Acts 15, he said, this is the gospel that I've preached. And he brought it back and he told the apostles in Jerusalem, this is the gospel I've preached. Now, I love the book of Romans because it's Paul's letter after he's preached to the Jews and before he gets to Rome. And I say 324 because, well, uh, he's preaching. He's preaching in Acts 13:39, and he's teaching in in Romans 3. Now, preaching is you get you know Holy Spirit conviction one opportunity, as that is declared. That's the Spirit bringing conviction to bring repentance. Teaching you have you have more of an opportunity as you go verse by verse, and you go through the Word of God. And those letters were not preaching letters. Those, he, he did not send, the, send out evangelistic letters. They're letters to teach and exhort and encourage the church. So uh, Rome, I'll pick it up, 3, 320. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, just pause right there. So you cannot be rendered righteous in the sight of God by the law. Never intended that way. The, The law and the prophets witness that you can be rendered righteous or, again, justified. The witness is that that the Messiah would come. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22. Okay? Righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. There, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I really wanted to get us to 3.24. So if you look at 3.24, right? being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then describing the, how, how God set forth Jesus to be a, a propitiation, a, a great way to understand that as he's preaching justification through faith in Jesus Christ because of the death and resurrection, the gospel, and he goes back and teaches, and, he, and the teaching is clear that Jesus' blood satisfies the righteous judgment of God. The, the idea of a propitiation is it's an accepted, right? It's an accepted sacrifice. So the declaration and the teaching is God set forth, um, God sent Jesus 
Christ forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Interesting phrase. In fact, if you would just meet somebody on the, on the street and they would start talking about faith in the blood, you're like, where are you getting that from? But in the context of how are we rendered righteous in the sight of God, again, it's because Jesus' blood, you have faith that the blood of Jesus Christ, when, when offered up on the cross, when his blood is shed, that God is accepting his sacrifice, his bloodshed, right, for the, for the sin of the world. And, and at first you might like, well, yeah, of course, because I've been in church all my life. We talk, but you need to understand when Paul's going out, these are not the ideas that, that they already have. Now, you have the backdrop, right? You have, you have the book of Leviticus. You have, you have all these sacrifices. But to say that, that God set forth Jesus' blood to be the propitiation and to, to believe that his blood has that power, and then look at the phrase in 325, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And he goes on to describe how God overlooked Right? In God's forbearance, the sins that were committed for before Jesus Christ died on the cross are actually covered by the blood of Jesus Christ when he does die on the cross. That God waited to receive that, that sacrifice. Now we find back into Acts chapter 13. Well, if you want extra, you, you guys like extra? Right? Titus chapter 3. Another, we'll go there. When I start out the study, I always have time to, to go to different places. And then I run out of time at the end. Now, Ron and I were fellowshipping during our time together. And just, just recalling and remembering, it, it's not that many years ago that we did not have access to the teaching of the Word of God. We're specifically talking about the teachings of prophecy. And I remember my first introduction to teachings of prophecy, probably in... 2000 was my very first time first time hearing the study of the book of Daniel. And then and then I remember I remember going through the um the 70 weeks of Daniel with another guy I'm like that. I want more, right? The same thing happens with every part of the Bible as you tie this together. Remember Paul sent Titus and left him on the island of Crete and with the intent of raising up elders and this is the instruction that he describes unto them. Um, and well, let's pick it up in 3.3, 3, Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts, pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. See, this gospel goes into all these places. Now, we're going to uncover this shortly that where the gospel goes forth it, it faces opposition directly. Paul, in, in the next study in chapter 14, when he's in Galatia, is going to be stoned and probably to death and comes back to life or at least he, I believe he references being caught up to the third heaven. This gospel goes into Crete. And what do you think the gospel is? Do you, do you, do you change it? Well, you can't change the gospel of Christ, can you? Paul tells Titus, he says, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Every time Jesus would open his mouth to the Pharisees, what did he, what did he end up 
describing to those that were around them. Their hypocrisy. Their outward show. Now, see why this is important? Paul is in speaking to the Jews. It's synagogue Judaism. It may not be Pharisees and Sadducees like it is in the makeup of Israel, but it is the same rabbis who are teaching the same things, passing the same stuff on. And let's face it, even now you can take the denominations in church and say, oh, that's their teachings. It hasn't changed much into how the teachings go. So Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are rendered righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in his blood. God receives that sacrifice. And when you believe upon Jesus Christ, you believe that his blood has washed you clean. Holy Spirit involvement, Titus 3, Titus 3, 5. Washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. John 3, you must be born again. This is the gospel, and then the teaching comes later on and says, this is what, this is what Paul wants the church to understand. But I really brought you to 3, 7 of Titus. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And I'll put it together for you. When Paul is preaching that you cannot be justified by the law of Moses and describes that you can only be justified from all things through the blood of Jesus Christ by his grace. Ephesians 2.9, right? 2.8, saved by grace through faith, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Justified freely by his by His grace in in 3 7 right made heirs unto eternal life but that's the end of the justification the beginning i already read to you in romans 3 i'll do it for you this is your beginning justified right by grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus so this begins at the purchase price the bloodshed this this is good stuff justified again then Paul circles back to the ambassador idea in 2 Corinthians 5 and says as an ambassador for Christ and his plea to the people again as he's as he's sharing that with the Corinthians he says the plea is be reconciled to God well God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and and describing how it is that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him now, what did I just do for you? I just took the idea that's found in the preaching of the gospel in 1339 that you can be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And I just described how God the Father accepted the bloodshed of, of his son on the cross. And that, that blood, faith in Jesus Christ, faith in his blood, that 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 propitiation. God the Father accepted the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. And how does that come to you? I love asking this when I'm talking to Catholics who say, I believe just like you do. And so then I just start going to scriptures like this. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? And then, yeah, we believe that. I said, how does that come to you? And they give me the deer in the headlights look. Because it's so simple, right? That through receiving Jesus Christ, this comes to me by grace. Because you, 
if you understand anything about Catholic doctrines, how do these things come to them? Through the works of the keeping of the sacraments of the church, ultimately that will save them. Yeah, you can pray to Mary too and, you know, in, in between there do these things. I'm just displaying unto you, look at, look at all the things that have changed. That's why I love the history as we go through the book of Acts. And I want every one of you to understand, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you believe that his blood shed on the cross washes you clean from your sin. You can say that because of the involvement of the Holy Spirit, by the washing and renewing of generation. How'd that come to me? By grace, through faith, I believe in Jesus. And when I do that, the Holy Spirit washes me clean. That's good news. And so the justification from the moment you're purchased to the moment you receive eternal life. That's Romans 3 to Titus 3. And right there in the middle of Acts 13, 39, just this verse would go right on by you unless you would go back to the teaching of the word of God. Now, the let's be honest, the fault with the first covenant was really that the people couldn't keep it. Right? If you could have been justified by the law, and James writes to the to the to the church and he and he says, if you become a lawbreaker in one point, you keep all the law except one point, that makes you a lawbreaker. And then you're guilty, and then you are not justified. And and this is where Paul goes out. Now, I love verse forty because again, I'm thirteen forty, I'm going forward. Uh thirteen forty of Acts. Because as he's declared the good news, there is no more good news than you can be considered righteous in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Right with God. Accepted by God. This, this is the good news that, that yet then you would say, again, I, I offered up to you this way. If I was a salesman, I would be on the sales pitch right here. And this is all yours for 19, three easy installments of 1995. Right? But it's not sales, is it? Nor is it a take it or leave it kind of thing. So in the face of the good news, you know what Paul says? He says, beware. That's not the way you, you preach good news, is it? Warning. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Now, what I just did for us, looking at Romans 3 and the propitiation and talking about 2 Corinthians 5, looking at Titus 3... It's the same gospel that goes forth with the understanding uh, of the propitiation and then the justification rendered righteous and, and all that. And this is many times where the church ends now in the gospel. And they never get on to where Paul goes. And this was, look at history, it was there in the beginning. He warns the Jews that if they don't receive, if they think they can continue in a justification by the law of Moses... He says, beware, less than that which was spoken of the prophets comes upon you. What's going to come upon you? He says, behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which will by no means believe, by you, you will by no means believe the one were to declare it to you. Now, let's be straight up what we've studied in the book of Acts, the work of God's redemption of man. We, we don't talk much about the term redemption, do we? But the we, reason why I bring it up, it's the blood price to purchase. Right? That's, that's the redemption. We were, we were sold under sin. We were bought back by the blood of Jesus. And it's God's redemption of man that has been declared to us through the scriptures. 
if you'll believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be justified by all of all the sins you've ever committed. That's that's the promise. That's that's where this goes forth. All that you've ever committed, but to reject, and, and this is where this is at, to reject God's message of love through Jesus Christ is to put yourself in the danger of facing God's judgment. Now, not to sit and camp on that and beat the dead horse, because this is, this is really the point of the preaching of the gospel. That to those who reject that gift, they reject the blood. Right? They reject faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what's coming in the world? As we talk about prophecy, we talk about what's, what's happening. All those who have been saved by Jesus Christ, those who have faith in him, those who have the Holy Spirit, right? Remember the part of the Holy Spirit? The washing and renewing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. If you're not born again, then, then you're not believing in your heart. You're believing only in what I would say doctrines taught or fear of God taught by the commandments of men. But if you believe in your heart, uh, the Lord Jesus, if you confess you know, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart he is raised from the dead, you are saved. That's, that's Romans 10. Now, when I bring this forth in this way, the Apostle Paul quotes, in the synagogue, Habakkuk 1.5. In the days, much like today, when Habakkuk is looking out in the world and he's looking... And he's like, things are getting worse. I guess this is how you look when you're looking out. And But uh, have you not listened to us talk with one another, text one another? What do we talk about? Did you read this? Did you hear this? And then this is going on. And we can clearly say things are changing. And then we can talk about, I mean, you just start bringing up various laws that are changing and this and then practices and, and like things are getting worse. The equivalent Habakkuk says unto God, when are you going to do something? I think that's a legitimate answer. Is I, I look around the world, and are you not asking God similar prayers? When are, when are you going to send Jesus to take care of this? Well, in Habakkuk's day, he's asking for God to restore Israel. He's asking for God to change things. And you know what the answer is in, in Habakkuk 1.5? That's what he quotes, right? essentially Habakkuk is saying, Lord, please don't let me know anything else of what's going on. It's deteriorating and you're doing nothing about it. That's kind of the interaction. Well, if you look at Habakkuk 1.6, and you can find your way there, this is your, this is your minor prophet, you know, finding the, the obscure small portions of the Bible. Habakkuk 1.6. Uh, I love John the Baptizer's ministry. If you think about, there's some, there's some really, like simple, clear years that just directed go out into the wilderness and preach repentance. And when the hypocrites showed up, you know what you know what John says to them? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So part of John's preaching repentance was preaching the wrath of God. Okay, Jonah. When Jonah gets to Nineveh, what does he even preach? He just he's straight wrath. Yet in forty days you will be destroyed. Okay, Habakkuk. 
Lord, you've got to do something about things around here. Well, to understand the verse, when he says, I am working a work in your day that you would not believe though it be told to you. So let's be honest of the coming work of God. So the present work of God is the work of the redemption of man through faith in Jesus Christ. While it's daylight, that is still the work. Work of salvation, work of salvation, work of salvation. What's the next work that's coming? Well, look at Habakkuk 1.6. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Now, I, I don't get Christians. I mean, I do. I'm one of them, and I, and I know that we do things, but I don't get Christians. Um, in this way. Here we are in the world with the full knowledge and understanding of what's coming and the full knowledge and understanding and revelation of what God has done in the past. We have the flood. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we have what the, what the prophets begin to reveal. We have God using Assyria to judge Israel. And then we have God using this nation called Babylon to judge the nations of the world. Jeremiah, Isaiah, they prophesied. That's the time frame when God says judgment is coming and I'm judging these nations, I'm judging these nations. Now let's face it. Why do Christians call the book of Revelation scary? And that's the part I don't get. Okay? Oh, I read those things and I'm so scared. Oh, that's a scary book. I've heard that so much. And I have spent a portion of my time when I'm talking with and not, not, not you guys in here where we read and study the Word of God, but as I talk to other people about the Bible, and I invite people to the Revelation study, and believers and then nominal believers alike, when I talk about the book of Revelation, oh, that's a scary book. And it's almost across that. Well, what, what this brings me to, and I need you to see it in the preaching of the gospel and then the teaching that goes forth, Paul warns them that that which is written in the prophets would come upon them. Do you realize that the idea of the earth being destroyed, God's eternal plan to take this place one day and it will not be fit for inhabit, uh, for a habitation and he's given time and he's going to bring judgment upon this world and, and people have time and then the Messiah comes. That's the book of Isaiah right around the beginning in 24. God has telegraphed his judgment to the world. Now, in the preaching of the gospel, in, in that you are saved by Jesus Christ, washed clean, right? Propitiation, all your sin is forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're righteous in the sight of God. And, and this then leaves us to this segment. If you reject it, you face the judgment. And that's where Paul goes when he references the work that will be worked in their days, though no one declare to you. And here I am to tell us, you know what's coming in the world? What's the next work of God? The judgment of God. The wrath of God is coming to this Christ-rejecting world. This is the part. This is the part of the fulfillment of prophecy from the book of Daniel, Revelation, book of Joel, Habakkuk. Uh, this is, and others, and again, these are the ones I'm referencing. So here we are now living in the world and let's be honest, we're waiting for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The only way that's fulfilled, 
that Jesus can come at any moment, the only way that's fulfilled is the next the next event, if you will, to happen on the timetable in regards to prophecy is the rapture of the church. Now, I, I love in the preaching of the gospel, Paul, in, in going forth the first time, he, he, he warns them of the wrath to come. And now I'll say it to us this way. Okay? As much as we would love to think, again, the world has deceivingly used this phrase, return to normal. Or, We'll, we'll improve things. We'll do a great reset. Terms like that, that politicians and, and, and things are, are floated out there. And then Christians get into that little scenario. Yeah, I just want things to go back to normal. Life was so scary for the last two years. You hear that word? Life was scary. Again, um, I'll give you an example. My, my wife invited some sisters to go to, to the Perry Center uh, which is a home for unwed pregnant moms so they can keep their babies so that, again, it's a place of we don't want you to, do a, to, to kill your baby and we are going to do something about it. Come live here. We'll meet all your needs. We'll take all those things. And there was a, a gal who, who has, uh, again, I think a history of, of abortion and then there are others who have testimonies of of. You know, there's, I think of Tim Tebow. Why doesn't the world want to hear what he has to say? Well, he was supposed to die in an abortion. Now, if you're aware of that, that's his testimony. There's a certain type of Christianity that the world still will put up with. Right? And it, it, but you start talking about, about life and death and you start talking about that. And one of the, one of the gals said, Oh, that sounds so scary to go to something like that and hear somebody talk about abortion. I'm not down on her. I'm just laying this out. The work of God that comes, you want God to do something? You know what you're asking? In fact, we sang it tonight, may your will be done. You know what we're asking for? That kingdom come, that will be done. You know what we're asking for? The same thing Paul is warning them. When we say, Lord, come, what are we asking for? There is only one way to restore righteousness to the earth. And that's for him to judge the wicked and the evil. And when he returns, he comes back. He comes back doing just that. Now, you maybe didn't think that was in the preaching of the gospel when Paul went forth. I tell, I'm here in advance here to tell you tonight. John the baptizer, before Jesus came, is warning of wrath to come. You know what Jesus is teaching? He is warning them to flee from the wrath to come, just like John was, preaching repentance. You know what? Jesus teaches more on hell than he does on heaven. Jesus describes a place of eternal torment and fire where their worm does not die and their fire does not go out. You know what he's doing? He's reading Isaiah 66 and expounding on it to the people. Jesus didn't come and say new things. He came and expounded on that which God had said and then gave the understanding. What follows after is a work of salvation. The work of Jesus is accomplished on the cross. He meant it when he said, it is finished. You know what that, that's that total style, which means paid in full. That's the, that's the price. And when Paul goes out and now uh, uh, this, this work of God that Jesus did on the cross, and then the work of salvation, which he continues through the church, what's next? This work of salvation goes out, and how many in the church are having this idea, 
falsely that there'll be one last great revival that'll save the majority of the world and then Jesus comes back to a saved world. I'm here to tell you that's not the way the Bible reads. The Bible reads Jesus coming back in the nick of time to save Israel in his second coming. It reads that unless those days had been shortened, for again, for the elect's sake, they would not have survived the second Babylon or second Roman Empire. The, again, you catch the context of the judgment that's coming into the world. Wrath and judgment at the hand of the Babylonians. That's Habakkuk 1.6. You mean to tell me Paul's going out and describing unto them that if they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, their only outlook is a similar judgment coming upon them. And that's the way I describe the book of Revelation. It details the record of the wrath of God being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. Ooh, scary. And then you stop back and say, no, it's not scary, is it? It's righteous. Yeah? Well, isn't that where, isn't that where the beware, lest the things written, of by, written by the prophets comes upon you? Now, when I teach that, I don't, I don't sit up here and, and then start to like, oh, this is going to be good. Quite the opposite. It's not scary to me. It's righteous. And, and then this is, this is the plea of the gospel. Why would, you want, why would you want, why would you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why would you want the judgment of God? And in the context of what we're looking at now in the world, uh, I want you to understand clearly in the days of the flood, God waited, and he 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 waited. If you took a waited, I just counted them out. He waited 500 years. Long-suffering. You know what, what Peter tells the church? He describes, he describes the long-suffering of God means salvation. So while God now waits, as more people are getting saved, so back to Acts 13.42, when the Jews went out of the synagogue... Now, I don't know if you appreciate this. I appreciate it. I, I, I did everything I could to get you to appreciate that. Paul warned them that if they reject this gospel, the wrath of God abides upon them. He warns them that. And this is the beautiful thing of the gospel. When the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Tell us more. We've never heard the word of God like this. What do you mean judgment to come? What do you mean I can be rendered righteous. I've never kept the law of Moses, and there's a way to be right. When the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, persuading them, and Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, persuaded them, continuing the grace. Now, I'll lay it out for us, right? Saved by grace through faith, and justified freely by his grace, continuing the grace. That, that's a beautiful, simple, powerful truth. Saved by grace, justified freely by his grace. What do we have from there? Well, next week when you read the book of Galatians, the letter to that, those churches, this Paul's in this area. Do you know what happened later on? They, and he just asked them, hey, again, I, I put the hay in there. I don't think Paul used hay. He says, when you receive the Spirit, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. See, and that's his argument to them. It's by faith. Well, he says, and why? What has bewitched you, having begun in the spirit, that you would now perfect in the works of the flesh? You perfect the flesh by the works of the keeping of the law. 
And so they're actually justified freely. And Paul writes back to them, what's bewitched you? You're saved and you're justified. You, you are saved by grace, justified by grace, and now you don't want to continue in the grace. Paul, writing to the second, Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, describes that they receive the grace of God in vain. What's he saying? That, that, you turn, that one would turn away from the grace that has come in Christ Jesus by his blood and trust in something else. Well, the word is continue in the grace. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. That, as Ron and I were fellowshipping, and this is what happened. The very first time I heard the book of Daniel and all I could come up with, give me more. When's the next study? The church that we were going to, right? I think they did one more Bible study on the midweek going through the Gospel of John, and after that, no more, no more midweek Bible studies. I'm like, I'm out of here. Right? I want the Word of God. Tell me more. But that was also at that church where I had my first opportunity to teach a Sunday school class, and I can't believe they let me teach. They didn't vet me or anything. You know what vetted means? Someone like, yeah, yeah, he can teach. Yeah, he. And so I'm teaching an adult Sunday school class at a place I've no, they don't even know my doctrines or anything like that. They know nothing about me, and I'm teaching. And I said, well, I'm going to go to the book of Genesis. Well, you know what I did? David Guzik taught the Bible study for me. I, did, I took his notes, and I studied them. And I'm like, because Blue Letter Bible at that point came out. They didn't have the audio versions of the teachings yet, but you know what you could get at first? You could get the, the text versions. And I started to study the Bible. And I started to study the Bible in that way. And, and 1344, I need you to see, as much as I can hand off to you, don't think that when the Apostle Paul went out, he just showed up and says, Jesus loves you, you should get saved. Even on Pentecost, they are exhorting the people to be saved from this perverse generation. They are warning the people, pleading with them, get saved. I love listening to the testimonies especially amongst the siblings and friends during the Jesus movement. Because almost all of them talk about, my friend called me and kept bugging me about getting saved. My brother called me two or three times a week. Did you get saved yet? Did you get saved yet? Did you get saved yet? And just that's the style. That's more close to what we see in the book of Acts than what we have today. Now it's salesmen who said, take it or leave it. And yet the warning and when Paul taught the Word of God like that, and, and all I did tonight was take the, Paul's writings, which he writes later on concerning what he's preaching, the understanding God gave him, they came out to hear the Word of God. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Now, this is what happened for me when I came to the teaching of the Word of God, not the opposition, not the blaspheming. I'd never heard the Word of God taught like that. I said to my brother who was discipling me, he started sending me tapes from his pastor. I'm like, I, I didn't know the Bible was that way. I said, give me more, right? That Daniel study, give me more. I, 70th week of Daniel, tell me more. I, I want to hear what God's word says. Well, when that started to bring people together, the Jews were filled with envy. They should have been rejoicing, right? God, the God that we serve is being glorified and magnified here in this Gentile city. 
the whole city is turning out to hear the word of God. They should have been, but they were not. And I'm going to quote Pastor Chuck here. It's a, he says, in our early years at Calvary Chapel, when it was clear that God was really blessing, one local pastor told one of our young couples that I had a drinking problem. So don't you love 2 Corinthians 6 where Paul describes the evil report and good report? He, he talks about this contradicting life of, of the report of what people say about you and what God says. So filled with envy, there were those when, when, when God was pouring out. I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of thousands upon thousands getting baptized in the ocean. And, and so with envy, they said Chuck had a drinking problem. That couple asked Chuck about it, and I told them the strongest thing I ever drank was whole milk. And he says, and probably too much of that. I evidently, when he's writing it, he's probably put on some weight. But I've never touched a drop of alcohol in my life. There was another rumor that I had a yacht. <laughs> Not true. And that we were serving the hippies Cokes and hot dogs for communion. So these were other churches spreading because of envy what was going on with Calvary Chapel. It's just crazy what people will say when all they should say is, isn't God great what he's doing? It's exciting to see all those young people coming to Jesus Christ, turning their lives to him and spreading the gospel. So in that contradicting, envy, blaspheming, Paul and Barnabas, verse 46, grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. And then look at that phrase, but since you reject it. Now, how are you saved? By grace, through faith. Saved by grace in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ when you believe that Jesus' blood pays for your sin, the Holy Spirit washes you through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit born again, that initial washing clean. Okay. You accept that or you reject it. Now there's a new movement in churches tied to an old movement anchored to an ism of a, of a past theologian. And it's called Neo-Calvinism. Now, what you don't know is that term isn't used, just like whenever the, the emergent church, the emergent church, and pretty soon nobody talked about the emergent church anymore. Well, the emergent church got their ideas to spread wide, and so it was no longer emerging. Okay? In much the same way, what neo-Calvinistic uh, theologies and doctrines did, they took the gospel and they turned it upside down. They changed the history that in the preaching of Christ, and, and Jesus says, go into all the world and preach to every creature, preach remission of sin. Just like we're studying in Acts 13. Along comes others later on and says, come to church, and if you're one of the elect, then obviously you've received the gospel. I simplified it, but that's, that's what that did because they believed in five-point Calvinism, and in five-point Calvinism, they teach that, that God chooses some for heaven and some for hell. Yet you see here in the preaching of the gospel when we went out, you either receive the gospel of Jesus Christ or you reject it. So the warning to those that rejected the gospel that, that judgment would come upon them, I'm telling you right now, the only way that this world is restored to righteousness is through the judgment of God upon the Christ-rejecting world. There is no other way. There is no normal, there is no revival that restores the world. There is no... There is no promise of God that everyone gets saved. 
it was necessary the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it. Well, how how are you, how does this come to you? Remember the deer in the headlights look when I ask Catholics that question? How does this come to you? It's so simple, even a child can, can get it. I receive it. I believed and I received. John one twelve to all that received him, to those that believed upon his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. Since you reject it, look at that last phrase in 46, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Now, I love the word. I love the understanding of what happened. I just gave you tonight what, how God does this through the preaching of the gospel when you, re, when you receive it and believe it. He pays for your sin. He justifies you freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then he, <clears throat> he justifies you unto the everlasting life. Look where Paul goes. He says, you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Do you understand this? There is no such thing as a limited atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. And 1346, Paul goes out with the gospel and he simply says it. You either accept the gospel or you reject it. When you reject it, you judge yourself unworthy. In other words, Jesus is there willing to wash you clean and render you righteous in the sight of God through his righteousness imputed to you. You believe upon him, he gives you his righteousness unto everlasting life. I love what Paul says. He says, not that I've already attained. He said, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those things that I used to count valuable, it's like I count them as refuse. They're dung to me. They're behind me. The things I gained before, I count them as loss. And he puts before him for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things, but he gains Christ. So when he writes the church, he says, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. This is the type of thing. And he says, and he's just pressing on towards eternal life. And would you believe that? What Paul teaches in the gospel, when you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know who's judging? You're judging yourself, unworthy of the gospel. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to judge. He says, I came to bring salvation. Now, there'll be a final judgment, but what's happening now in the world with the gospel going forth? The gospel is available to all creatures. Think of it. We talk about Ron and I again, fellowshipping, talking about the advancement of the internet. And now we have the word of God. We have teachings. What do you want to know? You can get every teaching, but you can get every false teaching. You get it all. So you got you to, like, what are these good sources and what's the word of God? And, and in doing that, it just comes down to it. Honestly, the gospel has spread to the whole world. There is, there, is, there is no place in this world anymore that has not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it's an amazing thing. The, the iPad is not even 15 years old. Right? The iPhone is what, maybe 15 years old? What's this thing called an app? This little program, this little program that is adapted now to almost instant, instant whatever you want is at your fingertips. And you don't think that these things have gone forth? And now think of yet today, many are judging themselves unworthy of everlasting life. And Paul says, we turn to the Gentiles. And it was a command, 47. The Lord commanded us. 
The Lord commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles. You know where he goes? Isaiah. Do you know that if you read the book of Isaiah and you had nothing else and you just, if you read the book of Isaiah the rest of your life, you would have insight into the understanding of the suffering of Messiah. You would have insight and understanding unto the resurrection and kingdom of Messiah. You would have, you would have God's plan that through the Messiah, the Gentiles would be saved. And if you just, he's like, you want, you want an understanding. God has telegraphed. And it's interesting to me that, that the tagline with Isaiah is, and it's given by God when he says, go speak. I'm sending to you, to your, to your own people, not a foreign people. I'm sending you to the people of your own speech, yet they have eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. So where does this come out in light of what Paul is saying there? And this is his method. Jew first, when they reject the gospel, go to the Gentiles. We're now in the world where we see clearly that the rejection of the Messiah of Jesus Christ by Israel is by far their stance. He's not the one. Well, what's coming? Think of Habakkuk now. Habakkuk saw that and he says, Lord, aren't you going to do something about this? Think, think of us. Lord, aren't you going to save your own people, Israel? And he says, I'm working a work in your days that you would not believe unless your eyes, you would not even believe it, your eyes see it. What's coming? Well, what's coming is God is going to send a false Christ that Israel will receive initially. And he is going to build the temple. And, and who is, we were talking about, Ron and I were talking about that too, weren't we? They're planning to get a high-speed train from Ben-Gurion Airport to the, to the new temple site in Jerusalem. Supposed to be completed by April. They've been planning to rebuild the temple for a long time. Why is that a big deal? Well, because the Bible, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. He says, the Jews have rejected the Messiah. They're right on course, ready to receive the false Messiah. The false Messiah, in his revealing, first seal opened up, on that, on that scroll in Revelation. And with him comes war, famine, and pestilence, and death. First four seals. And that famine is, it's going to cost a day's wage for a loaf of bread, but don't harm the oil and the wine. See, you'll have your electric car if you have lots of money. You'll have all your luxuries, but the poor are barely going to be able to eat. These warnings... A light to the Gentiles should be salvation, should see the salvation to the ends of the earth. Here we are. And, and that, that's uh, Isaiah 49, 6. The Gentiles heard this. They were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many has been appointed, eternal life believed. Now, just like I emphasize the receiving or rejecting, this is also true. And this is by grace. It's not by works. Say, well, through my works, I believe. no. And this is, this is right, appointed to eternal life. All I can come up with is God has been gracious unto me, a sinner. Why, why me? That's the title of Jacob Damkani's book that he writes back to Israel. He's a Jew who received the Messiah from going to a store in New York where the, where the clerk, he came in shopping for antiques, the store clerk, preached Christ to this rebellious, drug-addicted Jew living in New York. And he began to preach the Messiah. 
and he gets saved, and then he writes a book back. All he can come up with is, why me? Is like, how can you explain the grace of God? How do you explain that? It's, it's true. Bible, the Bible does declare that God chose you. All I know is that's the grace of God. How are you saved? Not by works of faith. You are saved by grace through faith. And it's a gift of God. The Gentiles heard this, are glad, glorified the word of the Lord. Uh, word of the Lord, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord spread throughout all the region. What book are we reading next week? So it's Acts 14 and Letter to the Galatians. This becomes the whole region. Galatia is a region of churches. Paul's first journey out. It's also accessible to the Judaizers, and they follow Paul around and say, "What? You're not really saved. You need to keep the works of the law." Word of the Lord spread through the region. The Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them out of their region. That's persecution. You always think persecution is kill, kill, kill. Persecution is just to pursue and chase somebody. Right? And, and so when we think of persecution, don't back down from this. If it means that the only way that the Christ-rejecting world can be restored to righteousness is through the judgment of the wicked, then that's not a scary thought to us. That's a, Lord, let's preach the gospel. Lord, let's stand. Even if they pursue us, we're not going to change the gospel. Right now, so many have changed the gospel over what? I just, I don't, I don't really like people to not, I, I, I need people to like me. But a lot of people are that way. They raised up persecution. They shook the dust off their feet. You remember Jesus' instruction when he sent out his... He says, if they reject, they reject the gospel, they reject the kingdom of God, he says what? Shake the dust off your feet. Do you know that in the rejection of the gospel, people are rejecting the kingdom of God? What's in store for them is the judgment. They'll never enter the kingdom. But I love that where this ends in the preaching of the gospel, the, the record now of the Holy Spirit. And we'll pick up an Iconium next week. It says the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. In the face of all that, now, let me encourage you and strengthen you in one thing today. Having believed and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the assurance that you are saved by that grace through faith. How does it work? The faith of the blood of Jesus Christ washes you clean because God cleanses you from all unrighteousness and all sin. And you are justified from the beginning of your redemption unto eternal life. It's exciting stuff for me. So what's coming to a world near you? Is revival coming? There might be pockets of revival. God maybe could turn things back, but what I'm looking at is that the words of Jesus are being fulfilled as it was in the days of Noah. What's the mark of the days of Noah? Judgment came upon them. What's the mark of the days of, of Lot? Lawlessness, violence, homosexuality, greed, what came upon them? Judgment. Do you understand the way that this is taught? So when, uh, here's how I see this. When the church is raptured, caught up, say in the day that Lot was taken out of Sodom, what did God do? Rain, fire, and brimstone down. I believe the opening of that first seal with the Antichrist being revealed begins the judgment of God. So here's how I look at this. Church caught up, raptured away, first seal opens up because the restrainer is taken out of the way. What restores this world to righteousness? Judgment. 
That's the gospel. So Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight and ask of you to stir us up unto love and good works, fruitfulness, that we could have open doors. I pray that you would give us an open door to share Christ this week with those in our lives. In this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a simple, fabulous thing, undertaking. Uh, when I started working at Ford in the warehouse, the Lord lifted when I, he had me, by faith, I was not to work outside of the ministry. Four years ago, well, a little over four years ago, in, I was out at the pastor's conference in, uh, out east, and the Holy Spirit very clearly said to me, it's no more faith for you to work in the ministry and out of the ministry. And I came back, took a day, a whole afternoon, I guess I'd say, biblical decision-making, out of that, I'm going to go get a job. I land in the warehouse at Ford, and I meet a friend of mine on day one. He's like, I'm a believer, right? Because he probably heard that a pastor got hired in the warehouse because I wasn't silent about my faith. And he he just starts talking to me. And next thing, within a week, we're getting together on one morning of the week to start pray for the salvation of those that we're now working with. And I'll, I'll lay this out for you. Every week that we prayed, I shared the gospel that week. If we missed a week in prayer, guess what? Did not share the gospel that week. Sometimes as we prayed, right, I would share the gospel every day that week, just people talking, some aspect of sharing the gospel. What would I, what's the word to the church right now? If you, if you believe this to be true, which I believe it is, right, watch and pray. Right? Watch and pray. You, you aren't sharing the gospel with anybody? Well, then I say unto you, get praying for the people in your life. And then know this, when you're praying for them, you start praying for them to be saved, guess what God's going to do? He's going to open up the door for you to share the gospel. Every door that was opened up, guess what I had to do? I had to open my mouth and begin to preach Christ. And then after a while, then people would come to me and ask me to preach Christ to them. They didn't say, would you please preach Christ? But they'd open their mouth and say something foolish. And then I would say, well, actually, and then I'd start preaching Christ from that point. And so God bless you guys. As we're waiting, Washington waiting is a great place to be at. When I was young, I think of your age, Sam, Abby, when I was young like you guys, I was, again, I thought the second coming of Jesus was scary. You know why I thought it was scary? Because I had no assurance that I would go. I didn't even know about the rapture. The church I went to, basically they taught Jesus is coming back and he's mad. That's, That's all I got it. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have every expectation to be caught away in the rapture of the church. Or even if you would die, you immediately go to the presence of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8. So what was scary to me growing up doesn't even have to be a scary thing to you. It can be one of those things like, all right, Lord, I I don't know what it is, but I, I trust your word. And therefore, the book of Revelation is not scary. And I think second sermon's over, so I'll cut you loose. God bless you guys and just encourage you in the Lord. So.